Um, I want to start off this morning, you know, as, as a child, I grew up in the, well, 70s, 80s, you know, I don't know if I ever grew up, but um, when I was in my youthful time, I watched a number of TV shows, and I'm going to see if you guys recognize any of these. We got the first one up here. Let's see. Anybody recognize these two guys? These are classics. The dynamic duo, Batman and Robin. All right, let's see our second one here. Classic. It's even written there for you. The next, the next one also does. But, you know, we've got the different characters in this. They each have specific roles. I mean, you got Captain Kirk, the original Captain Kirk, you know, that was, you know, brash and always did stuff spontaneously. And Kirk, who's very, I mean, Spock, who's very logical. And Bones, who's more emotional. And Scotty, who's more technical. They all had their own roles. Okay, let's see our next one here. Anybody recognize these characters? Yeah, Star Wars. This is not necessarily a TV show, more of a movie. But, um, you know, they, Luke and Leia, you know, brother and sister. We find, sorry if I just spoil it for somebody. Um, yeah, I know, I know. Ruined it. Um, you know, Han Solo, the smuggler that turns good and, and things like that. And Chewbacca. And you've got just a whole variety of characters. And, Darth, yeah, well, we're leaving Darth Vader out of this. He's on there, but, you know, anyway, they all have their own role. All right, next one. A-Team, yes. Now, if you watched the A-Team back in the 80s, I was just given a recommendation, don't watch it again because it'll ruin it for you. Because at the moment, you know, when you were in, like, I was junior high-ish when these guys were, you know, doing all sorts of, now comical um, explosions and nobody ever dies and they shoot everybody and nobody ever dies and nobody ever gets hit. But um, in any case, they all had their role. You know, they, you know we had the, the mastermind, we have the demolitions guy, the smooth talker and muscle. I mean, just, they just all had their own roles. And they, you could count on their roles being played in the show, every time it'd play out. They didn't switch over, they just they kind of stayed in their lane. All right, I think, if I remember correctly, that's the last of the TV shows. I've got a couple other ones up here we're going to put up. Anybody know this here? Steve Largent, which is Seahawks. Yeah, he's not the team himself, but I, you know, growing up, Steve Largent was like my hero. Like I, every Sunday or, you know, I'd tune in and watch Steve Largent, see how many more, you know, he's continued his career of number of catches consecutive weeks. And uh, Seahawks were pretty much, that was the Seahawks for me, but he couldn't do it by himself. He needed a quarterback, and we needed a quarterback back then. Um, Because Dave Craig was really hot or really cold, and it was never in between. Um, But the Seahawks, I grew up watching the Seahawks a lot, and you had the whole team. Next up here, Griffey. Griffey was a little bit later than my youth, you know, it was more uh, college era, but... Uh, Ken Griffey Jr., you know, with the Mariners, like it was oh, the years of watching him and the Mariners when they were really at a peak then, and now they're already eliminated, so I'm done with baseball this year. Um, then we've got one more here. Devil Shrimp, yeah, for the Supersonics, Seattle Supersonics, and now basketball doesn't exist to me anymore um, because it's not in our state, and they're, you know. But as you can see, all of these, as we look at all these shows and all the things that, you know, we put up here, all of them have something in common, and that is they were a team. 
They, they work together to accomplish a mission. And sometimes they accomplished a mission. Um, there's other times, though, um, that people were not fulfilling their role. And we see that played out in sports a lot when, you know, the quarterback doesn't throw the ball well or the linemen don't block or the receiver drops it or, or and so on. Well, today we're going to continue our series in Romans chapter 12. And as we look at this, as we look at Romans 12, um, Donnie started out last week going over verses 1 and 2. He, you know, outdid himself two verses. I was, you know, I was giving him a hard time because he's like, Donnie, you only gave me six verses this time. We're only going three through eight. And then I looked and I said, oh, you've only got two the week before. I guess, you know, you trust me. Um, But when we're doing this, um, I was looking at Romans 12 more of as a whole, and there's really a the hierarchy of relationships in Romans 12 and the beginning of 13. And as we look at this, um, I've got an imagery that I'm going to put up here that's of a kind of a bullseye. And it's a, it's a relationship um, hierarchy where we can look at this. And the, the center of the bullseye there is our relationship with God. And as we look at that, the relationship with God, that was covered earlier in verses 1 and 2. We'll get, come back to the, what verses line up with this. But the center is where we need to start. We need to start with our relationship with God. And as it goes out from there, the priority decreases. Not to say that those aren't important, but our first and most important priority should be our relationship with God. The next ring out you can see is with believers, the church body, the the community of believers that we are surrounded with. After that, then the unbelievers. And then beyond that is with government and society. And as we look at this, it's laid out in Romans 12 and 13 as you walk through this. And I've got actually I got another, we're going to put it up with the actual verses there. So last week, chapter 12, 1 and 2 was the bullseye there, our relationship with God, three through eight. Uh, 13, which is actually, we're going to cover part of it this week, um, is our relationship with believers. And then we have unbelievers as 12, uh, chapter 12, 14 through 21. And then we hit, get into in chapter 13, our relationship with government and society. So that being said, um, we're going to pick up real quick with chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 that Donnie covered last week, but just to review and see how this uh, plays in. Verse 1, the living sacrifice, it says, I appeal you to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual, your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to the world, but transformed by the renew of your mind and the testing, uh, and by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Now, this is kind of shows our relationship with God, and we need to submit ourselves and, as a living sacrifice. And Donnie talked about that last week. If you were not here, please go back and watch that. But this brings in a couple different things. Um, and we see how grace changes everything. Um, the name of our, our series, Grace Changes Everything. And we look at this, And we see that we're going to approach into, in verses 3 through 8, the gifts that are given to us by grace, by God's Spirit. C.S. Lewis says, 
God gives his gifts where he finds the vessels empty enough to receive them. And I think this is such a profound thing where it leads us from verses 1 and 2. We need to set ourselves up as a living sacrifice. And when we do that, we make ourselves an empty vessel that the Lord can use. And until we're ready to push that stuff aside, until we're willing to say, Lord, I give it all to you, we don't have room for God to work in our lives. Now, does that mean God isn't working through people around us? No, but God uses us as vessels. And if we don't make room for him, he doesn't have room to fill. Well, the second part of that, um, grace changes everything, is the word grace. And that's unmerited favor, undeserved favor. And really, as sinners, we don't deserve his favor. We don't deserve his, these amazing gifts that he's willing to give to us but he gives them freely. Uh, Verse 3, it says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of yourself more highly than you ought, but think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. Before we go on, um, you know, it's common to think of when we think of this verse, when we think of the one body, but we have different members, like, oh, yeah. And, and sometimes we elevate certain roles. We elevate, you know, different portions of, oh, well, this one's more important than another. And if you think of the imagery of the body, I think this is an excellent depiction here because if I really think about it and I think, what part of my body would I be fine without? Just cutting off or cutting out. Which part of my, I mean, if you think about it just yourself, what part would you, and really, I mean, I, I would like to lose a little weight, but really, I don't want to cut it off, you know? <laughs> That's not really something I want to do. And if we think of even some of the portions of our body, we're like, okay, this is less desirable portion, like say toes. I, I don't like toes. I mean, they're functional, but, you know, I just feel like people's feet are... And uh, if you think about that, think about toes, we see how valuable they are. We look at, um, in the book of Judges, uh, in Judges 1, there's King uh, Adonai Bezek, Bezek, and it says that he was chased down by the Israelites, and he had... He, when he's captured, they actually cut off his thumbs and his big toes. And now thumbs is like pretty obvious. Like the posable thumb is a real benefit. You know, you can hold on to something. When you can't, you're like, it's not very, not as easy. But also the big toes. And when you look into this, the big toe actually does a lot of things for you. First of all, it's a major por- portion of balance. The big toe is stronger and supports more weight than almost twice of all the other toes combined. So when you think of your toes, like just the, your five toes, you're like, okay, on the foot, the, the four little piggies versus the one big piggy, you know, the big one carries tw- almost twice as much load as the others. So cutting that off, and all of a sudden that load is not equally dispersed anymore, 
it causes balance problems. It causes walking problems. And this is one of the reasons they use this as a, you know, like this king has been warring with us and now we're going to uh, basically cripple him so that he can't fight anymore. You can't hold a sword very well when you have no thumb. It's hard to have a spear and throw it if you have no thumb. A sling, no thumb. You know, all the, different, all the different forms of war would have been hindered by not having a thumb. And then also, it's like, not even that. We're just, not that you can't have something to fight with. Now we're going to make it so you can't even get away as well. So they cut off the toes. Balance and walking are deeply affected. What part of your body would you be okay without? Well, I think that's why this imagery plays out so well. When we think of it in that sense, we think, yeah, there's really no portion of the body we'd like to get rid of. Verse 5 says, So, we, there, uh, we though, <laughs> so we, let me start over here. You know, the, the, when we change versions of the Bible, and you grow up in one version, and you switch to another, and then you switch to another, now you have like three versions all running through your mind. <sighs> so, we, though, many, are in one body in Christ, and individual one and members one another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Well, this list is here, I think, really helps us prove a point in the fact that um, when you go through the list, whatever it is, whatever gift has been given to you, use it fully as the Lord is leading you. It's we look at this list and we also think there's some of you are like, you know what, that list there, you know, like teaching and, and prophecy and, and exhortation, those, those don't really seem like me. I don't feel like I've got that gift. And, you know, the, the good news is the Bible does have a couple other places in the New Testament where it talks about other gifts. And one of those is 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12 and the other is Ephesians 4 where Paul gives other lists of spiritual gifts. And as we think about these, we look through these lists, we think, well, maybe I can just like compile all three of these lists together and take out the ones that overlap, and then we'll have a complete list. Well, the problem is, is that there's stuff that isn't even listed in those lists. Paul leaves some stuff out. Um, in Ephesians 4, we look at the context of this, and Paul actually lays out a list that's within the context of what he is teaching, of what he's telling the people. You need to do this. And then he lists gifts that go along with that. So in Ephesians 4, he uses it, um, the giving of the gifts to the body of Christ is, an, uh, is to encourage unity and dependence on one another in the church community. 1 Corinthians 12 is talks about the proper regulation of spiritual gifts, gifts operating in the corporate gathering. So we are edifying. We're building each other up. And then Romans here, um, Paul explains the relative importance of the spiritual gifts. 
when we are serving others in the body. Well, like I said, there's other gifts that Paul does not mention here. That some that are not mentioned in the Bible, but I truly believe they are. Like the gift of prayer. I think that um, the act of intercessory prayer is a God-given gift. Does that mean nobody can do it, else can do it? No. I don't think that nobody else can do it unless they've been given that gift. But some people have this heart that just pours out for those around them, and they're praying for those other people constantly. I think the gift of music, our worship team, like some of them are like, I practice lots to get this, you know, to be able to play. Others, you know, like pick it up as a child and just know it. But I think those are also God-given gifts as well. I think that craftsmanship, in that, craftsmanship is one that's actually written out in the Old Testament. In Exodus 35, 30 through 33, it says, Moses said to the people of Israel, See, the Lord has called by, the name, uh, called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And he has uh, filled him with the Spirit of God, with skills, with intelligence, with knowledge, and with craftsmanship. That's a good list there. Skills, knowledge, intelligence, craftsmanship. Okay. Um, To devise artistic designs of work in gold and silver and bronze, in cutting stone, for setting and carving wood, for the work in every skilled craft. So to build the temple at the time, God gave spiritual gifts to this craftsman. They would be building stuff for the temple and to teach others, here's how we build this. Now, knowing that we all have spiritual gifts, and maybe there is an exhaustive list because, like I said, there's some that aren't named in the Bible, um, but there, we can take away some stuff from this. And the first thing that I have from this is knowing that we are given gifts, um, knowing, from knowing that we are given these three gifts, there's three things. And the first is, we're not permitted to live lives isolated, like an island separated from other Christians. You know, um, it brings me joy every time we come together and, and we see each other and we we can, it's, you know, the Bible talks about iron sharpening iron. And I think when we get together as Christians and we use our gifts for things, we end up giving them a piece of God's will for them in their lives. It empowers them. And these gifts are not to be something that just we set on a shelf. We're supposed to bring them together and participate as a body of Christ. Hebrews 25 uh, points out that we're supposed to gather, and it says, don't neglect to meet together, because our walk strengthens others' walks, as well as um, their walk strengthening ours. The second thing is that our participation in the body must take the form of service in some capacity. Um, you know, we're, we're giving these gifts not to put them on a shelf, like I said, as a troll fee that we just, oh, yeah, I've got that gift, woohoo! Um, but we're given that role or that gift, and we're expected to use it. If I, you know, come home and I give my keys to somebody in our house, I would expect that they're going to drive the vehicle. 
And it's the same thing with the gifts that God has given us. And maybe it's baby steps in the beginning. Maybe it's like, okay, I want you to learn how to back the car up. Let's start with going forward. Let's start with going forward. Let's, let's, okay, now let's practice turning. Okay, now let's leave a parking lot. You know, we're going to slowly take steps in those, those that learning, uh, in that learning. But if God gives us gifts, God, you know, he can pour it out all at once or he can give us that to start with and we, we grow it over time. I have a friend of mine that um, was given the gift of English. He did not know English. He was from Brazil, spoke Portuguese. And he was praying one day and as a, I think he was, said he was in high school, and he was like, Lord, I want to be a missionary for you, but I need to speak English, and I don't know English. And he said he woke up the next morning, and he could speak English fluently. And it just, like, he, when he told me that, I was like, really? And he's like, he goes, we didn't speak English at my school. We spoke Portuguese. We didn't, you know, and it just, one of those supernatural things that the Lord can give you the Lord can do miraculous things beyond our understanding. So some of those are developed. Some of those are, um, are just outright given to us. Well, if we think of gifts in any sense or our roles as being part of a team in any other form, we can think of it a little differently because sometimes we come to church and we're like, yeah, I, my gifts, you know, I, I've got them. But like at your house or at your work or if you're part of a sports team or something like that, if you were like, yeah, I've got a gift, but I'm just not going to do that. I've got a gift, but I'm just going to set it aside. You know, like um, at our house, um, our kids all have chores and roles that they play. And if one of the children is slacking, I usually don't have to say anything. My wife doesn't usually have to say anything because one of the other siblings is going to call them out on it. And if they don't, we will. And usually if they call them out in a not nice way, then we've got to call them out. Anyway, but all that to say is like in any other role, if you roll in your house, if you're not doing your part, if you're not pulling your weight per se, then there's going to be problems. Now, we don't give them all the same. Obviously, the little ones can't do as much as the big ones and, and so on. So we start them out, we train them up. And... You know, they, it's amazing how much that they can do, that they are capable of. Now, some of those are not spiritual gifts. Those are just chores that they've been trained to do. What about a, in your job? If you showed up every day at your work and were just like, yeah, I, I know I'm supposed to do something, but I'll do that maybe tomorrow, maybe the next week, maybe next year. I don't think we would think that's an appropriate use of our gifts, of our talents, and our abilities. Um, another example of this is, is in football. And, um, you know, if you, we can understand the concept of a team and everybody playing their part. And did anybody watch um, Ohio State versus Notre Dame last week? Anybody? Nobody in here. Okay. Oh, one. Awesome. Okay. So, you, you, and maybe others of you have heard about this. Now, last week, um, it was number nine and number six in the country playing, and it's like, you know, really intense game. They get down to the end. It's Ohio State's driving the ball down. They're getting down towards the goal line, and time is running out. They're, they're losing by four points at the time. 
It's uh, 10 to 14. And Notre Dame is trying to hold them out of the end zone, just like, okay, we're ahead by four. We've got this. They can't kick a field. They have to get a touchdown. And so there's four seconds left on the clock. Notre Dame is lined up. The ball's at the one-yard line, okay? Very important. Very, this is the last play of the game. But there's one problem. I think we have a picture of it here. Now, if you know anything about football, you see there's numbers on the field there by the Notre Dame players. What do you notice is a problem here? What's that? Yeah, there's, there's only 10. There's supposed to be 11. Okay, now, might not be a big problem, but in this case, it was. So just where six is there, you can see the number six, there's supposed to be another player right next to him. And you can kind of see, you kind of picture five people on the line there, and there's only four. Guess where Ohio State ran the ball? Yeah, right, that, that open spot there. They're like, hey, there's only 10 guys on the field. Quick, let's play. And they punched the ball in, won the game. Now, all that to say is that how much more important is it that we fulfill our role in God's kingdom than in football or our job? I mean, those are important. Those are, are you know, in our, in our home. I mean, those are important things. But fulfilling what our role is in Christ Jesus is the most important thing. Um, number three, we need to have humility. And this was brought out in verse... <clears throat> I have to look back here. Yeah, in verse three, it says... Uh, don't think more highly of yourself than you ought. And as we think of this, we need to have humility. When we are doing something that the Lord has gifted in, in us, if we're doing something, whether it's, you know, pastoring a, a mega church or if it's cleaning the toilets in the bathroom, now I don't know if that's a spiritual gift. But it's something that needs to be done. And not, maybe not today, but anyway. Um, no matter what it is, whatever God has gifted you in, should we really be taking credit going, oh, yeah, me. Look at me, how God worked in me. Look at me, what I did, because God did something that I couldn't do on my own. You know, all those things, it just, when we think of it in that perspective, like God is using me is not a celebration of me. It's a celebration of what God has done. And whether, like I said, whether it's cleaning toilets or it's serving food at a soup kitchen or it's preaching or it's whatever it is, we should be thinking of ourselves less and God more through that. Well, as I said earlier, um, this is kind of summed up in three things, and I combined them all into one sentence here, which I'm not putting on the screen. But all relationships in the body of Christ must be built on a foundation 
of a commitment to the body and, and to serving in humility in our assigned place. You know, we have those three things. We need to do, we need to show up, we need to follow through, and we need to be humble about it because it's not us, it's God working through us. Well, last time that I spoke, I uh, got home and my wife and I were talking, how do you think it went? I said, you know, I like to have application. I like to have something you walk away being able to do. And I didn't feel like there was that last time. And so I talked to her and we talked for a while and I said, okay, I'm going to make up for it next time. I'm going to give them homework. So um, nearby you on a seat, you probably saw when you came in, a couple pages here. Um, now, this isn't going to be graded, although I'd like to, um, but it's not graded. Um, so you're going to have two parts to it. First, you have this sheet that has basically just a bunch of questions here. Um, it's asking you, what are your top three spiritual gifts? Now, this, some of you may be like, oh, I've done the spiritual gifts test before. I know what mine are. And if you're saying that right now, maybe you're closing off the Lord to doing something in you. Are you an open vessel and willing to be used by him? Maybe he's got something else for you, okay? Second thing, it says, um, how can these gifts be used at home, then at work, and then in ministry? Um, I put these three on there because these are kind of the three realms that we live in. Um, Maybe your gift, you're thinking, well, my home is my work because I'm a stay-at-home mom or something like that. But I guarantee stay-at-home moms do so much. Like, I know my wife, I come home and I feel like, you know, I went on vacation every day at work because it's so easy compared to what she does. Their work is much more hard. And so your work may border, you may, they may cross over there, okay? Your work, if you're a stay-at-home mom, you may, you may cross over. Um, but then church and ministry. So I put church or in ministry because maybe your gift is evangelism and you feel like, you know what, I don't have a lot of opportunity in church to do that. And I go out, I come to church, I participate here, and I go use my gifts also in ministry around me. And that's, I'm not discrediting that at all. As we look at this, there's going to be options to put a lot of stuff down. And some of this, I don't want you to necessarily do that right now, but I made an exhaustive list that's not an exhaustive list because I just told you that there isn't a list in the Bible. So we have a list here, and this is what some categories that this spiritual gifts test assessment here are going to test you on. So if you look at the back page here, the the graphing your profile, um, if you look at that, you'll have to see a long list. And maybe you'll look down that list and you think, you know, there's a couple on here that these are ones that I feel like are me. Or maybe you've done this before and you go, I know this one's me. You know, we were talking about it beforehand and, uh, you know, about like, oh yeah, growing up, you know, I felt like this way. And then I took a spiritual gifts test. I'm totally being used a different way now. And I think that that's very common in our lives. We have plans for us, you know, like when I grew up, I want to be a fireman. And now I'm not. Um, you know, so there's, there's a lot of different options on here. But I want you just right now to look at that list and try and think about, are there some of these that I feel like God has gifted me in? Without doing the quiz at all. This, like, you know what, this one here, I'm going to circle that. I think that's me. And then after a few minutes, Matt's going to close us out with some worship. Um, but I want you to take this home. 
So the, back to the two-page part here. This has, I believe, 80 questions, which is going to take a little bit of time. And if you need another copy or whatever, we, I think we have some more copies out there. Or if you're, you know, like married couple, you could, you know, double up on one line and stuff like that. But you're going to use this. You're going to go through all the 80 questions, putting them numbering one through five to least likely, most likely, and stuff like that. And then you have to use this separate sheet here. And I, I asked Donnie, don't staple it all together because this one is really beneficial if you have it loose because it's like, you know, this putting your score from item six and then 16 and 20, they're not in order. If it was just like simple add up one through six, that'd be easy. But um, so do that at home and take some time to pray about this because I think this spiritual gifts test is, it's to get us thinking more than anything. How does God want me to be used? How is God using me right now? Maybe there's some ways on here, when you mark these things down, you're going to notice and go, whoa, I didn't know that. But God really has been using me this way. I just have never noticed this anymore. How can I explore this spiritual gift more? Or maybe it's like, you know what, it's kind of a blend of these two or three. Maybe there's something else that's related to that. But I think this is something we need to be thinking about in our lives or on a regular basis. How is God going to use me? How has he gifted me to be used for his kingdom. So take a few moments right now and we will close in worship in a few minutes. Well, as you go this week and are doing your homework assignment, I would ask you not to just take it and check the boxes and put it on the shelf, but come back with it and say, you know what? I feel like my spiritual gift is here. How can I use that? Have conversations with, you know, Donnie or with Dan or myself or Kylan. Find somebody here and say, how can I engage in God's work as part of this church body in this area that maybe I haven't done here before or maybe I, I don't know. And, you know, I talked about Donnie when I presented this and I said, Donnie, I go, you know, there's could be a good thing, but it's also going to cause some problems. And he goes, what's that? And I said, well, if a bunch of people come in and say, I've got this spiritual gift, how do I use it? We got to figure out how we can use it. And he said, yeah, what a great trouble to have. And I agree with that. Like, oh, we've got to use God's spiritual gifts here more. What a blessing to have. So this week, go be filled and do your homework and find out how we can use that in our body.